I would like your prayers this morning. I, this is um, probably the second week in a row. I scrambled last week to get my notes together. I have so much stuff. I have like nine pages. It's, it's one of those times I have so much stuff, I don't know where to go. Let's pray. God, you know the most important thing is for every one of us to hear from you. God, I pray, Lord, over the spiritual atmosphere in this place and around us today. I pray that you would guard over our mind and our hearts. Lord, that we would hear what you want to say to us. You were the carpenter, Jesus, when you were on the earth. You call us precious stones, and you are building in us a spiritual foundation continually. Every time you speak to us, every time we gather together, your Holy Spirit manifests truth to us. I ask that you would build your truth in us. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. I remember being in Nigeria the year before last, and I mean, being asked in a moment to go speak, and just like, boom, it happened. And then I remember changing a whole message for a church on a Sunday morning before I went and spoke. And uh, I kind of like my notes to be able to have a place to launch off from, but you know, I, I just feel like God is really wanting to do some unusual things. I've been reading the story about Jose Enriquez, and you know, he was that miner in that Chilean mine disaster just the year before last. And he had an incredible story of his life and, you know, how he grew up. He talked about how his dad really wasn't there. He, he worked a lot, and he was really close to his grandparents. And he was, uh, they were really involved in church, and he talks about growing up in church and, you know, accepting Christ and, you know, uh, playing instruments. He talked about how he had some years when he was just really out there playing music and really getting into the world and how God just reined him back in. Then he talked about going through a time in his young life where he, he really wanted to get married, and so he uh, really realized, I need a job. And so he started working, and he ended up working in, in the mines. And he talks about the different mines. Some were safe, you know, some were not safe. But, but he talked about in all this time of growth, he talked about how he, he learned as a Christian to hear from God. He, he learned how to understand and be sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And he talked about this one time where, you know, he was working in that mine where there was that disaster in San Jose, uh, Chile. And this mine was uh, very unsafe. And he talked about how he had learned even to understand where he was working when things were going to happen. He, he said the mine starts to talk to you. He, he said the men in the mine knew uh, by sounds and the, the, the noises that different uh, bends in the mine shaft would, would talk. And... Uh, People were, had an apprehensiveness about working in the mine. He said, though, the, the bosses and the people over them said, well, don't worry, you know, be at peace. It's, it's all okay, even though they were in denial about the serious condition and the lacks and the safety things that were in that mine. And he talks about going home. He had seven days off and seven days on. He talked about the, the, that one uh, week he had finished his work and come home, and his grandmother, you know, being very prophetic, said, you know, Jose, I feel like something is going to happen. Something very difficult is going to happen to you. You're going to be going into a situation that, that is extremely hazardous. His mother also echoed that, and they prayed for him. They, they began to pray for him. And he, he went just a little bit you know, while in the seven days he's off, and again, his grandmother's mother, they said, there's just something very serious. We, we must pray for you. 
And his wife was very disturbed because, you know, Jose had been sharing with her what he is seeing in the mind, what he was sensing, what he was feeling. And there was a real apprehensive this last, you know, week he was home with this family before he went, you know, where there was a mind disaster. And he talked about how, you know, his daughter, even when he was leaving, was uh, very uh, apprehensive. And even as, as she hugged him goodbye, he had that feeling like this could be the last time I see her. And it was one of those things, though, where um, he believed that he was to go, but he was aware something was going to happen. And he talks about, uh, there's this one verse, I, I'm using this because I felt like God gave it to me before I even read the story. And it's 1 Peter 1, 5-7. I'm sorry there's no PowerPoint this morning, no notes on the, on the overhead, but Feel free to write down whatever you feel like God speaks to you, whatever God's saying to you. And hopefully, if you're not going to write things down, that's okay. But this week, the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. And the things that God wants to say to you, you will be able to hear and respond to. This is a scripture Jose used, and I felt this is the one I had already written down this week. It says, through faith, believers are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that you so that the proven genuineness of your faith or greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that could be a whole life of trials that a believer goes through. And, you know, at the end when they cross over the other side, boom, they're in glory, they're in heaven. They forget all the pain and misery of the earth. But I believe for us believers, the trials and the temptations and the things that we must go through that are refining our faith and developing in us a deep character and a vision and insight for something greater than this life, are, are we, we have them revealed when we go through that trial, when we go through that fire, when we go through that testing, even when we go through a season of sin and bondage. There is something that's being developed in us that's going to far outweigh what we're going through. The tendency in us is to give up, to quit, and not believe that God is going to get us through this test and this trial. God is more interested in our faith than anything else we're going through. He's more interested in that than our bank account, than our job, than anything. He wants us to be people who believe in him and trust in him and rely on him. We are living in difficult days. We are living in days that, you know what, it'd be nicer to live in a, in a different time. But we, these are the days that we have. Excuse me why I search for my next scripture I want to use. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. I'm reading out of the NIV. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. The most scary thing is, de de um, is defying God's lordship. Jesus Christ saved us from sin and he saved us for eternity, but we must have him as lord of our life. We must not choose, uh, pick and choose of what uh, is for us. 
Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, is trying to offer us everything our flesh could imagine, anything that will distract us from Jesus Christ, because his whole motive is to take us to hell. And there is a plot that's been going on since Adam and Eve were in the garden, that deception that started, and it's working everywhere in the earth. It's working in our country. It's working around the world. You see the unrest, the, the, the rivals, the, the, you know, the controversies. You see the, the struggling to replace this leader and uh, you know, get a new leader here. We see what's going on even in Syria right now. I mean, the struggle. Let's, let's get rid of the leader. There's a, such an unrest. People want change. People want transformation. But they are, there is just that unrest that is just signaling, you know, that, that, that God is moving on the earth, that people are looking for something, and it's setting up for the Antichrist, but it's also setting up for Jesus Christ to come back and reign on this earth. I was reading uh, this week, and I, I just kind of want to go through this because I feel it gets really powerful. I feel like we need to understand the will of the Lord. I feel like we have to understand the times in which we live in. And I really believe, like the Bible says, and how God promises to give us the Holy Spirit, that God wants you to know the times that you're living in. He wants you to have an understanding of what you're going through, who you are, where God's taking you. And it takes that, again, that time that you put God first that we begin to put God at the, at the center of our life. You may have a lot, of, a lot of extra things added to your plate, but if you keep Jesus as the entree, you keep him as that meat portion in your life, then everything else that you're going to be involved with is going to get accomplished. And you're going to find that your cells are you're going to be more busier than you could ever imagine. And you're going to wonder in your mind someday, how am I going to get all these things done? But if you put God first, you are going to accomplish much. You're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, and you're going to be effective in your natural life. You are going to see God bless you and prosper you however he wants to do that, but you're also going to be a blessing to others. You're going to be a spiritual person who imparts life to people whom you, you may find out die the next day. These are our crucial times. We see people dying at all different ages. We, we lost that person the other day because of that drunk driving accident. Things are, are in place. You know, people wonder right now, are, is everything going on in the world because God is judging the world? You know what? God doesn't really have to do anything. The world has gone away from God. Satan, the God of this world, is sitting like, I saw this commercial yesterday. This lady was sitting here reading her book, and there's this new thing. You put a Swiffer pad on, and it automatically sweeps all your floors. Satan, Satan has got deception going and sin going, and all he has to do is sit back. And there's enough flesh, and there's enough sin in our lives that we're making our own decisions. We make our own decisions, something happens, and we blame God. What is that? God gives us a free will, and what are we doing with it? Our world is blaming God because he's not uh, uh, the Santa Claus of heaven blessing everything they want giving them. Man has gone away from God, and the result is sin is rampant. There, is ma- there are decisions that are being made are not the right decisions. The leaders that are in the land are not making the right decisions because they don't have Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Okay, now I have to find where I'm going next. I want to talk a little bit about a Jeremiah 32. I, I thought this is just incredible, incredible, uh, just in, in, in reading Jeremiah, incredible what, what Jeremiah went through and, and how, God, how he saw God and yet how he was in such incredible condition. I want to read a few verses and I'll just probably tell you the story. This is Jeremiah, I mean, yeah, Jeremiah chapter 32. I'm reading it out of the Amplified. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For the king of Babylon's army was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard, which is in the house of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had locked him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord? Behold, I am giving the city into the land of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hands of the Chaldean, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall he be until I visit him for evil. Again, uh, there's been evil going on, and God has had enough. And he cares about his people, so he lets them go, and then he allows them to go into bondage. He allows them to go into difficult situations. And he said, The Lord, and though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not prosper. Why do you thus prophesy? Again, again, they're mad at the prophet of the Lord. He's speaking the word of the Lord to them. He's speaking ways that they can come out of bondage and, and the evil that's intended, and he's trying to get them to repent. So what do they do with the, war, the one who's speaking the truth? Lock them up. You know, same thing with Jesus. He's telling the truth. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then the Jews say, okay, lock them up. Let's get rid of them. What are we doing? What are we doing? Every time the word of God comes, the enemy comes to steal it. He comes to shut us up. Why? This temporal reality is rolling past us too quickly. What do we have to lose? We have eternity to lose. We have a, a hope and a future to lose if we don't knuckle down and put God first. So Jeremiah is in this place. And, and it's really neat for me to see because I see Jeremiah as someone who's grown up and he starts to have the bigger picture. You know, he sees God with not human understanding, but he sees God as a higher place. We've been talking about that the scripture in Isaiah, I think it's 55.8, where... Uh, trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your understanding, but almost like, oh, God's ways are higher than our ways, that scripture. You can see Jeremiah has, has walked with God long enough, and he's been receiving the word of the Lord long enough where he can understand God has a higher way. God has a higher path. So here he is in this place where he's locked up. I tell you, if I was a Christian right now, and I was locked up, I think I'd be a little bit upset. Even if I was locked up for Jesus, even if I was locked up, you know, and I'm talking to the prisoners, I think I'd be upset. Hey, God, I'm your man. I've given up my life. Why am I in jail? You know, why am I going through the circumstances? And maybe you're going to ask that today. Why am I going through what I'm going through? Verse 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hamael, son of Shalom, your uncle, shall come to you and say, By my field that is in that town. So here, here's some things that are unfolding. God's now wanting Jeremiah. Here he is in prison. You read the next six or seven, eight verses through 15. You see that uh, in the prison cell, he calls in. He, he measures out money. He has a court, court reporter come in and write everything down. The deed is transferred. Here he's in prison, and he's buying the field. And, you know, he's trying to wonder, well, what's going on here? You know, why, why is this? But here's something that, that Jeremiah says in this condition of being in prison, and he's doing what God says. He's buying this field. Alas, Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, there is nothing too hard or too wonderful for you. Have you ever said that? 
Have you ever said, oh God, you're too wonderful, you're great, you're powerful, you can do anything? I mean, Jeremiah's locked up in prison. The whole Judah, they're all going into bondage. They're going to go off to Babylon and be slaves. And, and he's saying, there's nothing too hard for you. What do you think? Maybe in my mind I'd be thinking, get me out of jail. You're going to have me buy this property. They're all going up to, into bondage and I'm going to be here. No, there's something in him that he sees God higher. He sees something working here. That even though the people are suffering from consequences that their leaders have made, that God was giving a promise. He was telling uh, Jeremiah, buy this property because you're going to come back someday. The cycle of this whole thing is going to turn around and you're going to see the blessing of God again. But he's able to not look at his personal circumstances, not look at the bondage he's in, not look at the trials he's under, not look at the negative part of his life, and he begins to see God in a bigger place. He begins to see there's a bigger picture. I'm in this slot in history. I am called and born in for this certain time, and yet God is working a plan to draw people to himself and to deal with people who are in rebellion. In verse uh, 18, he says this to God, You who, who show loving kindness to thousands, but recompense the iniquity of the fathers into the bosoms of their children after them, the great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. When he's talking about God passing on the iniquity, it's just that sin nature. How many of us know we find ourselves sometimes doing the things that our, our, our relatives did? You know, some of those sin patterns are passed on, and it, it's true. Verse 19, great are you in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to reward and repay each according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You worked signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And even to this day, even to this day, right now, today in 2012, God continues to do so, both in Israel and among other men. And made for yourself a name as it is this day. Thank you, E, so much for that song, Break the Chains. I was, how many felt God in that song today? Oh my, oh my. We may not see what we want to see yet, but there's something stirred in my spirit that God is on the move. God is doing something. Verse 21, you brought forth your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. And you gave them this land which you swore to the fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it, but they obeyed not your voice, nor walked in your law. They have done nothing at all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this evil to come upon them. Their protection got wiped away. You know, sometimes we don't walk in protection because, you know, we're in this environment. We're in this lot of time where there's a lot of rebellion going on. We're, as believers, we're suffering a lot of the consequences. And the pressure against our emotions and our mind is incredible. The, the, what we see going on us, we feel like it's coming to us personal because we're living in a society where the decisions made are affecting all of us. And the pressure of that very thing that we see comes to discourage us. It comes to rob our hope and our joy. It comes to make us feel like, why even go to church? Why, why talk to the Lord? Why pray? In fact, I've been praying about things and I haven't seen them change. 
we have to get a higher vision of our life and what God's doing. We have to believe we are called for this very time. We live in this very time. Whatever you have faced, if you've been rejected or, or suffered death or someone left you or, you know, things didn't work out like you planned, I can even think of prophetic words that haven't come to pass and wondered, why not? But it says sometimes, you know, prophecies fail. Sometimes people don't buy in to what God wants to do, or sometimes the whole season of what God's going to do, we don't see it all yet. It's not all done. What is God doing in, in our time? What is God doing for me? It's time for us to, again, come back to God. No matter how discouraged we are, no matter how bad it looks, we need to come to God. In fact, when things are going good, I can think of some years ago that things were going good. I was just kind of floating along. There's something inside me. There's something God has put and built in me about standing. And almost like I like these times when things don't look good because it's better when you're standing and fighting and praying and believing. There's just something that generates a faith when nothing you see is but opposition, when there's nothing but problems and sickness and discouragements and lack and everything going on. There's just something about being able to knock on the door, look to God, and dare to believe what God's doing. Again, verse 24, he goes on to tell him, okay, there's going to be siege ramps against, against the city. You know, Jerusalem's going to get under siege. And, and they don't believe it. They're still trying with all their effort to keep the inevitable from happening. Kind of like our government trying to, you know, we keep adding just a bigger debt. and Like, that's going to solve all the problems. Verse 26, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You need to hear that today. In the face of the opposition that's coming against you, you need to hear that. Is there anything too hard for me? God is saying to you personally today, is there anything too hard for me? Your mind is rolling through things. Your emotions are rolling through things. And you can make a list of what you've lost and what you're facing. And the enemy and our circumstances just start working on our flesh. Start working. On, it works a very resistance and an attitude at God who is the very one with us. And the very one who's going to change our circumstance. In the very darkest moment, Lazarus was four days in the grave. They didn't expect anything. Jesus pulled him out of the grave. Amen. When all hope was lost, the Savior had died on the cross and he had been dead and in the grave three days. It looked so dark and so bleak his disciples had scattered. What happened? He got up out of the grave and he came back and began to reveal himself to them. In our darkest hour, in the greatest opposition, the Lord Jesus Christ is still on the throne. The power of the Holy Spirit is ours, and there is no reason we should be discouraged or be without hope. We should be excited. We should get excited because something is going to happen. Here's one of my favorite verses. Now, 32, 33. He says about the people, Jeremiah says this. Well, God says this through Jeremiah. They, the people, have turned their backs on me and not their faces. Though I taught them persistently, yet they would not listen and receive instruction. I don't know about you, but me and Dory in our house, you know, we're, she's upstairs. So upstairs. We seem like we always have to have major conversation when she's upstairs, I'm downstairs. I'm upstairs. She's downstairs. Hey, Dory. 
What? Huh? What? Or I'm going down the hall to the laundry room. The machine's running, and she starts a conversation. I'm thinking, she is talking to me. I don't know what a word she's saying. How many of us can have a talk when our backs are against each other? We've got to be face-to-face. And I tell you, we can be busy. We can shoot off a little prayer to God. We can shoot off a little desire. But I tell you, God is calling us to be face-to-face with Him. What happens face-to-face? You see. You see the mouth. Your ears are more inclined to hear. I know you husbands and wife know that. You go, oh, yeah, you kind of just drift off. And yeah, you're not really tuned in. We've got to be face-to-face. What does it mean to be face-to-face? I think I have it here somewhere. Again, if I was only organized today. Um, the Hebrew of face is, is pretty understandable. Face turns at one's will. When we want to face someone, when we want to talk to them, that's our will. And how often is our will, again, because of our discouragements, because of what we're seeing on going on, because we listen to a half hour of the news, because we look at our checkbook, because we, we're in the doctor's office and we're dealing with things that are beyond our control. Our face doesn't want to turn to God. We get that old thing in our flesh. What's the use? And we go into this passive mode. We're, we're just gliding along, really uh, ready to receive anything that, a, that the Satan uh, wants to throw at us, anything the enemy wants to do to us. We're just kind of floating along. And then every negative thing comes again, and it stands against our faith. Oh, yeah, here's another thing. Thanks, God. You know, thanks, Lord. I mean, the negative things are constantly happening. Since the day Adam and Eve surrendered this planet, surrendered that authority to Satan, he's been ripping us off and he's been lying. He's been dividing believers. He's been dividing households. He's been dividing uh, governments and those in leadership. He is the one who steals, kills, and destroys. He steals our families. He's in the business now of stealing our, our children. He's stealing Christians. He's stealing Christians as they've gone their whole life and trying to steal them as they're getting older. He's a thief. He's a robber. He is, the, he is our enemy. But only as we return to the Lord, only as we get face-to-face with him, are we going to be able to stand. And we're going to know the little things we can do that are going to be great things because the Holy Spirit is working through us. It is the power of the Spirit. It is what God is doing. And God is calling us, really all of us. Dory had that word a couple weeks ago, and she kind of gave a little bit on it. And she hasn't really wanted to do a message, but about get your house in order. It's time. I didn't want to say this scripture because it's a little bit negative. But it's not... What I'm saying today is not to be negative, but it's almost like turn us to the positive. But, but he talks about, you know, it's time the judgment begins at the house of God. Because if it starts with us, how is it going to end for the unbeliever? You know, God is gracious. We read in Revelation, God gives all this time for people to repent. And he gives and he waits. And he's patient. It says he's long-suffering, not willing that any would perish. It says that his mercies endure forever. But there's a time. God gives a lot of time. He gives a lot of time. He gives a lot of time. Then all of a sudden, consequences come. All of a sudden, you know, we have to answer for what's going on. And this is the opportunity for us all. We, as a body, must have God first. We must walk in obedience to him. And we must be ready to allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives. Give me a few more minutes here.
I felt like, um, again, for us really getting hold of the time we're in, really accepting, accepting where we're at, and then knowing what we can change and, and coming into the place of knowing what God wants to change. Psalms 139, 1-7 out of the Amplified Bible. I, I kind of titled this, Seeing God's Will in My Life. O Lord, you have searched me thoroughly and have known me. Again, even the places we don't know God, he knows us. You know my downseating and my uprising. He, he knows our mood swings. He knows what launches us up there and he knows what pulls us down. You understand my thoughts afar off. You sift and search out my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. He knows everything about you. Your path, what has happened in your life, he's known about it. You may not have liked it. You may be trying to get away from the path. But somewhere, wherever you're out on that path, God wants to shine in. God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants to show you, 2012, that he's a God without limits. That what has tried to define you and stop you and limit you is something God's going to use to show himself strong and to change whatever it is that sought to steal your joy and steal your hope for a life. Verse 4, For there is not a word in my tongue still unuttered, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have beset me and shut me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Oh my, how many of you have gone through the dealings of God where you can't seem to get out of it, and the pressure is on you, and he's trying to do something, and you just want to get out. You want to get break free. I know people who have left the church. I know people who have left because the pressure on them, what God wanted to do, what, the greater plan he had for them, they couldn't handle it, and so they had to run. Doesn't mean necessarily he's not done, but it's that whole thing, that, that verse is so real. Your, verse 6, your infinite knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high above me. I cannot reach it. That's where Jeremiah was. That's where Jeremiah went in, in his growth, in his walk with God. Even showed up in the prison. He had begun to ride in that higher level, begin to walk in that places where God's ways are higher than his ways. And even though he was in prison, he saw a God who ultimately had control beyond the limited time he was in prison. He saw beyond where he was. He saw that God was going to move not only him, but all of Judah forward. God was going to do a day when they would come back into their land, when they would repent and they would come back to the house of God. Verse 7, he goes, where, where could I go from your spirit? Or where could I flee from your presence? I remember the four years before, you know, God sent us down. I remember feeling, you know, wanting to run, wanting to hide, feeling that pressure. I knew he'd speak at times. I knew I wasn't supposed to be where I was anymore. I knew I wasn't supposed to work that natural job anymore. And yet I felt that confinement. I felt that the pressure. I felt like it's scary. God, you want to push me into an area I don't want to go because I don't have any control. Our fear of control, we want to have control. But I tell you, God really is in control. And if we surrender what we experience and how he do does our life, then we begin to experience his power where fear is. His power comes through in our weakness, and he gets glory, and we can just begin to rest in who he is. I want to move from uh, 139, uh, 7 to 139.13. For you did not form my, for you did form my inward parts, you did knit me together in my mother's womb. Look at the intimate involvement of God in our lives. 
I mean, before birth, in the whole process in our mom's womb, in that secret place, God, God, his thoughts towards you, his plans for you, what he, what he cared about you, your destiny, you know, it was all planned. He was, he was watching over you. He was like your mom also. I will confess and praise you, for you are fearful and wonderful, and for the awe and wonder of my birth. Wonderful are your works, and that my inner self knows right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in secret and intricately and curiously wrought as if embroidered with various colors in the depths of the earth, a region of darkness and mystery. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book all the days of my life were written before ever they took shape when as, they there, when as yet there was none of them. Oh my, that's knowing God knows the plan for us. God knows how it's going to work out. Whatever you're feeling frustrated or fearful about, today you can take that scripture and just begin to relax. God, you're going to work it out. What I see today, it's frustrating me. It's bringing me fear and doubt. But who knows, maybe it's that tomorrow when all this is going to change. And then we'll say, why did I worry? Why did I get so frustrated? God, you are working in my life. How precious and weighty are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more than the number, than the sand. When I awoke, could I count to the end? I would still be with you. Psalms 31, 15, about time. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of the foes and those who pursue me and persecute me. Excuse me, you have an enemy? You know, we think, oh, we're fighting over in Afghanistan. We're fighting over in Iraq. You have an enemy. We all have enemies. The God of this world, Satan, our own self and flesh, our mindsets, the people around us, the, the world, the culture's attitude about God, the philosophies, all these things are from the enemy. He sends a whirlwind of information and a swirling around us that it just causes us sometimes to just stop in our tracks. God, God is the one. He wants to renew our mind. He wants to remind us and through his word that he is our source. He wants us to rise above the oppression and the depression. It is us. It is us that have been locked up and defined. And they're telling us there's no money. We've created an entitled society that is expecting the government to do everything. The government doesn't have any money. The government doesn't have any ideas. It is Jesus in us returning to Jesus personally and together as a body that we're going to see change. We are in an apathetic society. It's been going that I saw it in the 90s. I saw it in 1996, 1995 when I was at work and I began to see our company uh, digressing. I began to see buildings shut down and equipment just stored and people being laid off. I began to see the change in our society where uh, the government and fear and uh, the greed of private enterprise going to other countries and, and not giving us work anymore. And it's caused us to be a, a society that's become passive but God is the one who put a work ethic in us. God is the one that gives us creative ideas. There is people in this place, there are people on the earth who are believers, who God wants to release with direction, with excitement, with passion, with purpose, with destiny, with something that's going to stir people to get up 
and to serve God, but also to get up and do something. Do something in the society. Do something in the job world. There are places everywhere that our society must be touched by those who are walking with God. Only because we become a godless society, because America walked away from God, are we in the condition that we are today. Do we sit around and wait for it to go down the twos more, or do we begin to seek God, get in His face, and begin to walk, begin to walk in the Spirit, begin to be obedient to what God has for us, and begin to lift ourselves out of this, uh, just that thick layer of unbelief and passivity we should not wait till Jesus comes back, but we should be energetic in our faith and what we need to do. Even if you have to pick up and maybe just clean your house or something or, you know, get out and look for a different job or whatever you have to do, start stirring yourself. Start stirring yourself. If God be for us, who could be against us? I want to give you one final thought. Worship team, would you come up? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is a strong tower. We baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is our Father. We've been returned to Him through Jesus Christ. God was in the beginning, and He created everything, and He did signs, wonders, and miracles. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to bring us back into fellowship and relationship. Now, we're in the Father and in the Son. We now have the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. He's the go-between. He's the one that stands by us. He walks with us. He empowers us. He does the miracles. He raises the dead. He's the one that is with us. He's the one that no one will ever take from us. When your family has deserted you and when those around you have left you, when your husband or wife has divorced you, when your kids are going astray, it is the comforter. It is the paraclete. He's the one that was with us. He's the one that's going to encourage us. He's the one that's going to be there when everything else falls apart and the day you breathe your last breath you will step into the other side it is the Lord Jesus Christ that we have we have the trio we have the divine trinity he's living within us you have father you have son you have holy spirit if you need a father it's god the father who's there with you he's there through jesus jesus enabled him to come and be inside of us he enabled the holy spirit everything he is he's empowered and impacted in us if you need prayer we will pray